Things are changing. We all see that. We see it around us every day. And they're changing not just out there among the, in the world, among non-Christians. They're changing in here. They're changing everywhere. They're especially changing for the family. And with all of the changes that are happening around us, the family is facing a lot of challenges. I want you to watch a video clip with me that sort of depicts that for us, okay? This is the paradox of our time. We have taller buildings, but shorter tempers, wider freeways, but narrower viewpoints. We spend more, but have less. We buy more, but enjoy it less. We have bigger houses, but smaller families, more conveniences, but less time, but less time, less time. More channels, but nothing worth watching. watching. We've earned more degrees, but lost our common sense. We have more knowledge. But less, but less discernment. There are more experts, but more problems. But more problems, but more problems. More health magazines. But less wellness. This is a time when we choose any religion that fits our personality. But deny the God who gave us one. We have multiplied our possessions, but reduced our values. We talk too much, love, love too seldom, seldom, and hate too often. We've learned how to make a living, but not a life. We've conquered outer space, but not inner space. This is the paradox, this is of, the our paradox of our this time. Of We've time. cleaned up the air, but polluted our minds. We've split the atom, but not our prejudice. We build more computers to hold we more information, more to produce more copies, more to pass around to more people, but we have less communication. As that clip showed, um, we have unparalleled change, and it's not all bad. Uh, we should never make change the, the bad guy. But at the same time, the clip also showed how change is not all good either. And with all the change around us has become challenges. And that's what we want to talk about for the next few weeks. Um, as sort of an outline for this, there was a survey done uh, two years ago. It was a national survey uh, involving thousands of families. And it asked those families, what are the top challenges facing families today? And out of that, they came up with a list of ten. Ten issues, ten situations that are challenging families today to the greatest degree. And you see them there before you. Um, from materialism down to an anti-Christian culture. And we're actually going to use this as an outline for the next ten Sundays to look at each of these issues. Now, somebody said I should buy a Target shirt and wear it up here with a big Target on me because obviously some of those issues will be a little dicey, but they're real issues. And so I think even though they may be difficult issues, they're important issues that we need to look at because we face them. And as I looked at that survey, I resonated with it and said, yeah, that's real. Those ten are real, and they are affecting families. They're affecting my family, your family. And so we're going to look at the 10, and we're going to try and dig into some Scripture and just talk at a practical level. How do we as Christians respond to and deal with each of these issues? Because we can't escape them, and we're not going to be able to roll the clock back. And so that's what we're going to look at over the next few weeks. 
And so today we actually not just want to introduce this series, and the dates are actually on the website if you have maybe some friends or family that you'd like to have here to hear one of those, because we do have a couple weeks of interruption, so it won't be straight 10 weeks in a row, but the dates are all there if you'd like to invite someone to hear some of these. So today we want to start with the first one, materialism. We're going to do the Letterman style. We'll start with 10 and work up to one. Um, The stuff we have or want to have and how important that is to us. The Declaration of Independence says that we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. Among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. There's two phrases there I want you to just focus on for a second. Unalienable rights. We are owed this. It is our right. And then that last phrase. The pursuit of happiness. That has become the focus of our culture, hasn't it? That unalienable right to pursue happiness. And how are we trying to do that? Where are we looking for happiness? And the correct answer is the stuff we have. That's where we're looking. The motto of our culture is this. We see it on bumpers, and there's a whole lot of folks live this way. The one with the most toys wins. And that has become our addiction, this stuff. Well, where does that come from? Where does our culture's obsession with stuff come from? I want to go back a hundred years to what was at that time a new theory. You may think this has been around forever. It really hasn't. A hundred years ago, somebody thought up the idea that was called consumer economics. Now, be patient. We're not going to spend too much time here if you're not into history and theory. But consumer economics says two things. That it is good to get people to increasingly consume things. That that's good for the economy. You can see why they'd say that. They consume more things, they buy more things. Well, if they don't consume enough, then part of consumer economics is that we need to encourage them to do that, to show them that personal happiness is going to be linked to buying things and enjoying things. And so that was like, oh, you could organize a whole society around that? You could organize a whole culture around that? Let's do it. And so in the early 1900s, we began to buy into consumer economics. With that goes one other term, and that's marketing. And that is where I want to tell you about my product or service, but I also want to convince you to buy my product or service. Oftentimes showing you why you need to buy my product or service. And so all of that began to be the structure for the culture we live in. But we need to look for a second at the results of that. And, and well, I'm done with the theory. We'll set that aside. But what has flowed out of that? Well, obvious, some things are obvious. An increasing focus on things. The things I have or the things I don't have yet, but I want to have them. And out of a continual dose of all of that, I always want more. They come out with a newer product, a better product, a faster, new features, on and on. 
And if we stop that cycle, then businesses are in trouble. But with that came some subconscious messages. And we need to face those as well. Just as the theory said that we started looking to things for happiness. And as we did that, then things become more and more important. They move from, well, the stuff at the edges of my life, things move to the center of my life because they've become the source for happiness. And it affects even relationships with the people around me as I focus less on people and more on things. And the real consequence is a a dissatisfaction. Because partially I never arrive. We've all had this experience. We've done our research. We've looked for the best thing, whether it's car, computer, fishing rod, gun, um, appliance in the kitchen, whatever. And we bring it home and we're satisfied today. And it's great. And then, gosh darn it, two months later, they bring out a better one. Newer features, faster, prettier. It's got, oh, I, want, I wish mine had that. And suddenly, that very thing I was so satisfied with, I'm right back to being dissatisfied, waiting till we can put it in the budget to buy the next newer, faster one. And our lives remain dissatisfied. Never arriving, never being at peace with who we are and what we have. This isn't a new struggle. Solomon asked God, said God, uh, or God said to Solomon, I'll give you anything you want, you get one wish. Solomon said, I want wisdom. And so God said, you will be the wisest person, the wisest human. Solomon took all of that wisdom and said, let me research how to find a happy life. And he looked into stuff as a source of happiness. The, the lab notes of his research is the book of Ecclesiastes. And I found a video clip this week that looks at Ecclesiastes 2, verses 10 and 11, the, the conclusion that Solomon reached in looking at stuff. So will you watch this other video clip with me, please?
Solomon said it, it doesn't work. We won't gain what we're looking for from stuff. Well, I want to step back one more time and not look at some theory, but ask ourselves, what are we really looking for? Because part of what I want to say today is that I don't think we're looking for stuff. I, look, I think we're looking as families, as humans, for some deeper things. It's just we're looking to stuff to give it to us. So what are those things that we're looking for? Well, the first thing I think we're looking for is happiness. Uh, we want to have lives that we want to get up in the morning. There's more laughter than crying. There's more fun than sorrow. We would like a happy life. There's nothing wrong with that. I don't think there's anything wrong with any of these on the list. We want relationships. We want people that love us, and we want to love people. That's within our family. It's in a circle of friends. We're designed by a relational God that way about love and relationships. We want worth. We want some sense that my life matters, that, that I have value, and that others see me with value. That doesn't mean I'm the most important person in the world. We don't need that. We just need some sense that we each have some value, that when we're died and gone, somebody will miss us. I think directly linked to that worth is some sense of purpose. Or, or we could call it direction for our life, some sense of meaning in what I go through seven days a week. That I have some abilities, some, some gifts, that I'm making some contribution to the world. And from that we get some meaning for our lives. The world is better for me being here. And lastly, Security. We don't know about tomorrow, but we want some sense that we don't have to be terrified about tomorrow. Whatever's waiting out there, either for us personally or physically or economically or about love, that we don't have to be terrified about the unknown tomorrow. That's a sense of security. Well, if that's what we're looking for, then the question I think we need to first ask ourselves is, can stuff deliver on that? And I wanted to go through those just real quickly. Can stuff deliver on providing those things we're looking for? The first thing I want to do is hear what Jesus had to say. We heard what Solomon had to say. Turn over to Luke 12. Verse 15, and to sort of set the stage for this, Two brothers were arguing about their stuff, inheritance. And they were uh, very upset because they saw that stuff as very important. And they came to Jesus and said, Jesus, what, what's right here? Be the judge. And he didn't focus on the question they wanted him to focus on, who gets what. He challenged their basic assumption that this stuff is what's so important between brothers. And so in verse 15, then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Could we paraphrase that? All kinds of thinking that stuff is what's so important? And then Jesus said, a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. I want to read that again. A man's life does not consist 
in the abundance of his possessions. Now we're going to go on and read the story that Jesus told, but before we do, listen here what we've seen. Solomon, the wisest man who's ever lived as a human, said, I've tried it all. Stuff doesn't make life work. Now the Son of God comes to earth, and what's he say? Stuff isn't what life's all about. So we've heard it from two pretty authoritative sources saying it's not about our stuff. So then Jesus tells them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. So he thought to himself, what am I going to do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Stuff isn't what it's all about. And I understand in talking about that today, that flies directly in the face of multi-billion dollar marketing campaigns that say it is all about our stuff. But somewhere we have to rise above that and be more intelligent and say, is that really true? Is it really about our stuff? I put in the notes a chart to sort of say, okay, can stuff deliver? And I want us to just walk down through that. Can stuff deliver happiness? Well, my honest answer is, yeah, in parentheses. For a short term, we joked about that earlier. The day I come home with my new computer, I am in heaven. It is a ball. I, some of you aren't, but most, some of you are identifying with me. Hooking it up, all the new stuff. Oh, wow, this is so much faster. Am I happy? Yeah, for a month, two And then the rate of electronic research in three months, I'm bummed. And my happiness is over. But I spent so much on that new computer, it's going to be a couple years before I can buy a new one. So now I'm miserable for the next year and 18 months because my computer's not the fastest. So yeah, it makes us happy short term, but long term, we get frustrated. It's that cycle of consuming and being frustrated and throwing away for the newest newer well how about relationships i don't think we get a lot of debate about that relationships aren't really coming from stuff relationships aren't based on stuff now i thought okay somebody will sit out there and say well i don't know jim i think it is because I got all these buddies that we collect old cars together and we love to get together and talk about old cars and that's fun with the guys. And I thought, you know, that's a fair statement, but what happens if I take your car away? Are you still buddies? Do you still get together with those guys? Maybe for a couple months that'll linger and then it's over. And if that's the case, is your relationship based on friendship and Enduring kinds of things, or is it based on cars? What's the relationship built on? My point would be that the healthiest relationships are the ones that aren't tied to stuff or having stuff. How about worth? 
Well, again, I had to be honest. I want to try and be honest in all these sermons. Yeah, there, there, there's that piece of me. I drive around. You can ask my wife. My car is why my wife agreed to the first date. Now, she's not really that shallow, but I had the hottest car on campus, and she said, hey, I'm going out in that car. And I knew that car had power, so I gave it to her on Easter break when I was, really, when I was gone and couldn't drive it. And she's like, really? I can have it? I, you know, so there's some more value in stuff. You got to use it. But there's that little voice inside us that says, do they like me for my stuff or for me? And none of us likes to have that thought. Do they want to be around me because of my position or my power or the car or my boat that they get to come fishing with? Or my skill at this? Or is it because of me? See, I think we all want it to, that we have our worth because of me. Not what I have, not what I own, none of that. Well, what about purpose? Does stuff give us purpose and meaning in life? I would there say a resounding no. It creates a lot of stress. I got to take care of all my stuff. I got to keep it sorted and cared for and cleaned and change the oil and fix this and do this. And taking all that stuff takes up a lot of time, complicates life, give it meaning. I'm not sure most of us would say my stuff really gives me some sense of I've made a difference in this world when I die because I had the most toys. I don't think most people want that under their tombstone. He had the most toys. The last one, security. And I think there again, I think that one's obvious and we could all agree on that one because we all know our stuff doesn't last. The very stuff that we thought was the best and we get it out of stainless steel or whatever else, it still breaks, it still gets lost, it's gone. And it's not a real secure kind of thing. So where can we find what we're seeking? If we're looking for those things, where can we find it? I put on the chart a a secret code. Because I think in that secret code is where we can find what we're looking for. And I'd like to go through and talk about FFGJC. I can't say it, but we're going to talk about it. The first F is for families. I think part of what God intended for us is to find happiness, relationships, worth, purpose, security in our families. Those people that God has put around us, whether it's our spouses or our children or our parents, that extended family around us, brothers, sisters, grandparents. I I love that Old Testament scripture where God says he places the lonely in families. That is part of God's design. It's in those people that we find love and in those people that we find the very things we're looking for. And that is irrelevant to the amount of stuff we have. And we need to see the difference between those two. Losing all our stuff cannot take our families away from us. Or it won't. It's in those families. And I think beyond that, we need to draw that circle a little bigger. And the second F is what I would say is friends. Because one of the other things that is so important to us are those friends around us. We look forward to seeing them. We look forward to laughing together. 
We look forward to having fun together. And in that process, those friends, God also uses them to help us find happiness and love, relationships, worth, meaning, purpose, all of those things. The G and the J are for God and Jesus. Because I think with just family and friends, our graph is not going to have all the yeses we want and need. They're important. God designed them for us. And he intends for us to see family and friends as important and to find some of the things we're looking for in them. But they're not enough by themselves. And that's why we're in this room today, because we've realized life without God and Jesus, there's just some stuff that's not there yet. Because while we may find some some happiness, some relationships, there will be some worth questions, some purpose questions, some security questions that will have answered no unless we find God and a Savior in Jesus Christ. And in them we find relationships, we find happiness. God says, I can even help you be happy when it rains. I can help you be happy tomorrow on Monday when it snows eight inches and it's the last day of March. I can put something in your life that will still bring happiness to you because I am God. And in them we can find relationship that they will never go away, they will never die, they'll never be taken from us, and they'll never have a bad day, they'll never turn on us. They have a perfect love for us. And we go right down the list. It is in God that we find worth. We celebrated communion. You matter so much to God. He was willing to die for you. Do you have questions about your worth? Come to the cross. Take communion. God will prove to you you have worth. doesn't matter what anybody else says. God says you have a boatload of worth to him. So much worth, he'll die for you. And meaning in life, we read in Scripture that God designed you uniquely like a snowflake because of things he has that he wants to do through you. That's his design and plan. The God who made the Milky Way created you. And he has things for you to do. He has plans for you. You want meaning in life. That's meaning. And it is not affected by a layoff in a company or a downsizing or getting purchased or anything like that. No one can take that meaning from you. Because God has plans for your life. And security? Well, we just celebrated the answer to that a week ago on Easter morning. God can even handle the grave. And you don't have to worry about the future if you had God in Christ. Well, there's one last thing in those string of initials, and that's the C. You probably guessed that. It stands for the church. And you've heard me. The way I like to describe the church is Christ with skin on. I I know of God. I believe in God, believe in Christ. But as a human, there's times I need Christ here with me with skin on. Somebody to hug me, somebody to pray with me, somebody to cry with me, somebody to laugh with me. That real physical presence, because I'm such a limited physical being. 
And in God's genius, he said, I know you need that. And so I'm going to create my family, the church of Jesus Christ. So on the days when you need me to have skin on to be with you, I'll be there through the people in my church. And that they are there also to help us find happiness and relationships and worth and purpose and security. And none of that is affected by how much stuff we have. So that's my point, that chart right there. We can believe the slick marketing and say, if you just have more stuff, you'll have happiness, etc. But is it really going to work? And then God says, I got a solution that's not tied to how much stuff you have. It's all right there in front of you, and it's freely available if you'll take advantage of it. But I think we've got to ask ourselves, what do we do now? If I have convinced you right now, Jim, you're right. It's not about my stuff. But we're going to walk out that door in a minute. And you're going to get home and the Sunday paper is waiting for you, 50% of which is sale flyers designed to tell you how much more stuff you need to be happy and have worth and meaning and purpose and all that. So what do we do? How do we live differently? God's not going to beam me up, Scotty. How do we live in this world and yet live differently? Well, one of my favorite quotes is by Benjamin Franklin. Insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. That is such a life lesson. And the reason I share that is if we're going to go out the door today, doesn't matter how much resolve we have, how much I've convinced you, if we go out the door today and we don't do anything different, guess where we're going to be in seven days? Right where we are right now. So what do we do differently? And my intention, and you can hold me to this for these ten sermons, is that there's a component that gets real practical. And I just want to throw out some ideas for you to think about of how can we be different on this issue of materialism. One of the things we need to do is face the facts, the very thing that we've been talking about today. Of why I want more stuff, who's telling me all this, this is what's really going on. And with that, I think we need to be wise. What's really happening inside me, why do I think I need that? Why am I focusing so much on that stuff? What's really going on here? I think the third thing is we need to focus on what matters. We need to make some conscious choices and say, you know, I think Jim's right. It's really about family and friends and God and Jesus and the church. How do I make those more important in my life? How I, do I need to stake out some time? Do I need to pay more attention to that? Do I need to put a post-it note on the sink every morning where I brush my teeth or shave? What am I going to do to help me keep my focus where it should be, where I want it to be? On family and friends and God and Christ and church people. I think the other thing is to minimize our exposure to marketing. Now, I don't want to come across as this anti-capitalist, because I'm not. And I'm not a communist. But I think we've got to be honest about this marketing stuff. 
And sometimes we need to admit that, you know, maybe me spending two hours combing through the Sunday sale flyers doesn't get me where I want to be. It just makes me frustrated and want more stuff. So I need to minimize that. My wife and I splurged and got a TiVo. And there's other formats now. You can record TV. It is the greatest gift because you can fast forward through commercials. Skip them. It's, it's just wonderful. And you're only left a half hour show becomes 15 minutes. But it's so great to not have all those commercials bombarding you. Whatever you can think about for your life, cut down on that stuff. Admit that you're not Superman or Wonder Woman. If you keep allowing that junk to come in, it's going to sell you. So limit some of it. Find support. Two more. Find support. Don't try and change by yourself. If you're married, talk to your spouse. Do this together. Find some friends who say, you know, I agree. Let's hold each other accountable. Let's talk about this. Let's try and help each other be different. It's not about our stuff. And lastly, work on your calendar. Those things which are most important, write them in your calendar. Somebody taught me this years ago. I'm giving you my secret, and I shouldn't because you're my church members. But I do this. And what they taught me was, for Americans, our calendars are sacred. And so all you got to do is write in that calendar, date with wife. Take kid out for uh, Sunday, uh, ice cream. Write it in your calendar. Those things which really are important, put them in there. And then somebody says, hey, Jim, can you do this? Open your calendar. We don't show people our calendar, do we? You open that calendar and say, oh, sorry, I'm busy. Oh, okay, well, can we do it tomorrow? Oh, yeah, yeah, we can do that. I didn't say I'm busy taking my kid to get ice cream after school. It's none of their business. I'm busy with what's important. A calendar is a wonderful tool for what's important. And if we want to make changes in this, that's an easy way to start. Look at what really matters and put it in your calendar. Here's the good news. You don't need one more thing to give you what you're looking for. Not really. It's around you. That's the good news for us as families, as people. Friends are around us. Family is around us. If we don't have a family that's around us, God's given us a church family. And God is always with us. Christ is present with us. The very thing that can give us what we're looking for. We don't need another thing to have it. Materialism doesn't have to destroy our families if we won't let it. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the wisdom you gave Solomon and for all of his research with an unlimited bank account. And he still said, I couldn't find meaning to life and stuff. Thank you for Christ who challenges us like a, 
like a lighthouse in a storm that says a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. But Father, we need your help because that message is so strong that it's all about our stuff. May your spirit touch our hearts and our minds to overcome that message and see the truth. And I thank you that you have provided right around us what will really give us what we're looking for. Thank you for our families, for our friends, for your presence in our life, for Christ with us, and for a church family. Father, help us focus our attention on what will really give us meaning and happiness in our lives. In your Son's name, amen. Let's stand for a closing song. Thanks for coming. Uh, as always, there will be people in the prayer room just to your right, my left, to meet with you, talk with you uh, about anything and pray with you. Please take advantage of that. And I hope over this series that I can help us all to see life a little bit differently and overcome some of these challenges. May that happen this week for you.